Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. All right, this must be the kill zone right here. I don't know how Glenn and Caleb ministers, but obviously you must get the people right there in the front so nobody sits there. Is that right? Uh, yeah, you, I've, I've heard Caleb's pretty rough about that. So that, probably not so much Glenn, but maybe it's Caleb that they don't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> it is a great privilege to be with you today and... Uh, just to talk a little bit about some of the things that's happening that's already been alluded to. Uh, as you know, we had our main uh, family conference here in uh, September. And, and since that time, in October and November, there has been an incredible amount of travel amongst our family of churches going to distant places. Glenn and Chelsea been to Phoenix and all around that area. Did you go to California on that trip, just Phoenix and, and Texas? So they've been traveling a lot, then been up there, and then we've had uh, Roger Moore is here, and they took a team, Roger and Tony and their wives took a team down to the Philippines. Some of you may know some of that extended family down there, or the, the Pinos, Bobby and Noemi. And so I, I haven't even heard all the reports yet. I'm hoping to get some time with these guys to hear more. But, and then we had, some of you may know who Tom Bedford is. And he went with a team from California over to the Nordic countries. So he was in Sweden and Denmark, went up to a place called the Faroe Islands, which, oops, excuse me. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, honey. That's probably why people, I could kind of, okay. She didn't help me today, so forgive me. Glad I but anyway, back to get your mind back on the right thing. Sorry, guys. Uh, but Tom and, and Andrea, they were up in the Pharaoh Islands, and that was just a wonderful, wonderful trip. And then my wife and I had the privilege of being into the, uh, we went to India and traveled around. These are all connected to places that are part of our bigger family uh, called Salt and Light. Some of you know, what's that? Don't forget the Kenya trip. Who's? Kenya. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I totally forgot about that. One of the other trips that went on is uh, their wonderful granddaughter and several people were over in uh, Kenya and Uganda. Some of you, do you remember J.B. Masindi that came uh, and spoke at the conference here? J.B. helps lead a family of churches and is part of, a, of a, uh, our, our greater salt and light family that works in Africa. So there's Rwanda, Uganda, South Africa, Kenya, and there's thousands of churches there that they're involved with. So uh, Mary Alamang was there. Um, Natifa Wave, who's, who's uh, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And then we had some of our uh, local, in our local church I'm a part of in Pittsburgh, went over there as well. And then some from California were on that trip. And so they all joined together as a team to go over there and minister among JB's churches and some of the related churches and then on into Uganda with some of that family. So I'm saying all that to say it's been a very busy fall when it comes to ministering and going out into missionary uh, ventures in other nations. But this is all part of our, our greater family called Salt and Light, which we're a part of. And I'm, I'm going to probably allude to that a little bit here this morning. 
So I feel like I'm catching my breath when my wife and I came home. Uh, the next, probably two days after we arrived, she got really, really sick. I'm thankful for any of you that prayed for her. Uh, she was in bad shape for a week, just about a week. And then I kind of caught a little, not the, that part of it, but I kind of messed my back up in the midst of trying to help her recover. So we missed Thanksgiving. We were kind of in isolation all through Thanksgiving. Didn't see any of our kids, so we get to make up a little bit for that while we're here in, in uh, Kirksville. So anyway, just give you kind of a rundown and an update of where things have been. So thankful to be with you. And I do want to talk about uh, God's purpose for his local church, restoring foundations. I deeply loved, uh, I, I, I'm sure it was there before, but I didn't notice it. I love coming into the sanctuary here and seeing that wonderful expression of God's design for his church both ways coming in. If he so loved us, then we ought to love one another. Isn't that what Jesus and, and, and the writer said? And then I love as you go out, it says now you're entering the mission for which God sent you. We have a little phrase that kind of encapsulates both of those in our greater family of churches that were God's family of disciples joined together on God's mission. And I love that. It encompasses what Glenn alluded to this morning. We're called to be followers and disciples, but not just individual disciples, but a family of disciples. Because family is the nature of God. He always joins people together for his purpose. That began in the Garden of Eden, and it's continued all the way through the Bible. God joining people together in his family, and as we follow him and engage in his mission to the earth. So I want to talk a little bit about restoring some of the, the foundations of, of what local church is all about. Is that okay? So would you mind praying with me over the Word of God? I need it, and then you'll probably need it in understanding me. I'm not, no, I'm just teasing. But we do want God to speak to us this morning as we're in this series of foundations. So could you pray with me? Just close your eyes and, and look to Jesus. We know He said in His Word that wherever two or three are gathered, in his name, he's in our midst. So if we could just look to him right now as he's among us. And Lord Jesus, all the wonderful songs that were sung this morning, that were sung to you and as a reflection of you and your truth, we just want to acknowledge you here among us, Lord. We're thankful for that. Thank you that you've not left us as orphans, but you've sent Holy Spirit to adopt us into this family. And Holy Spirit, thank you for being in us and being among us revealing Jesus as he's here, as you're here, Lord, among us, and then baptizing us into the Father and into your life. Father, thank you that you've adopted us. Saints, are we thankful that he adopted us into his family? Can you just tell Father, thank you for that. Thank you that you didn't leave us on our own, but you came, and through sending your Son, God, you brought us into this wonderful family we have a privilege of being a part of. And now, Father, we don't want to just idly take what you did for us in some kind of minor way. We want it to be the dominating thing in our life, that we are living as your children, joined together as your family, as we engage in your mission every day of our lives. So, God, as I look into the Word, and we look into the Word for the foundational design for your people, God, let it come alive to us. Come on, saints, we can't understand even God's Word without Him. So, Father, as we're praying here, let, let revelation and light come to guide us into your intentions that we would be the people you've called us to be 
And Lord, that we would give honor in how we live our lives to what you laid your life down to see happen. So Lord, we bless you. Open our eyes today, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk about God's glorious plan for his house and our part in it. The great privilege of knowing and walking with one of the, the leaders and the founders of this family of churches named Barney Coombs. And one of the things, some of you may have met him, but one of the things that captivated me about him is he had a clear revelation of what God's intention was for local churches. And he spent his life, some of you have met Dave Richards, one of his spiritual sons, spent their lives trying to see churches embrace the destiny of who God's called them to be. And so as we're part of this, this family of churches, that's going to be a common theme there. We want to see local churches move in the mission and the design of God for their lives because we have a deficit when it comes to revelation of the church. Many people, even Christians that attend meetings, have a deficient view of what God's called his church to be. I, I read an article not long ago, and I, the tagline hit me. It said this. It was talking about people kind of giving up or going into uh, neutral when it comes to church, just kind of, oh, I'm kind of giving up on church. And, and one of the taglines this guy used is he said, they usually end up leaving because they no longer believe. And he used that phrase, they leave because they no longer believe. Now, what he was talking about, it wasn't just that they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but somehow they've lost what his intention is for them being a part of the family of God, local churches. And I thought, okay, that, that kind of sums up a lot of times what happens. And if you'd put that next slide up, there's a passage that was used in that blog that I want to highlight on the next one. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I had that to where we advance them. I must not have hit that just right. But on the top of that, there was a, there was a psalm that Nelson used that I thought was very apropos. And it's a psalm, when you look at the background of that psalm, it was a psalm that spoke of the work of the enemy. It says, for behold, the wicked bend, their bow, bend the bow, and they make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright of heart. And then it makes this classic statement, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, the idea of the context of that is, is that the enemy's coming against God's people. And one of the things he's trying to do is rip apart foundations. Because we live based on foundations. And that's why the lament there is, if the foundations are destroyed, what are we going to do as the people of God? Many times the work of the enemy isn't just for your personal pain or your personal discomfort, but he's trying to take foundations out of you then because you will be ineffective in what he's called you to be on this earth. If he can take the foundations out of his church, then we'll be ineffective. And that's the idea of his attack. It's not just trying to rob me of a personal... Many people think the attack of the enemy is trying to rob me of my personal blessing. No, he has a bigger design than that. He's trying to get you to quit moving in the foundation of what God's called you to be. And that's us as local churches. 
So that's the idea of that thing. If the foundations are destroyed, because what happens when you have no foundations of God motivating you, church becomes dead works. I don't know about you, but I've approached church that way. And I'm often the leader of churches. But what happens if foundations are out, out of us and the enemy can erode those, then church becomes just another, another dead work. And God doesn't... How many of you know God isn't into dead works? He's a living God. 34 times in the Bible He reveals Himself as the living God. So foundations are essential for us to continue to move in, in His life. Guys, I, this isn't just a, a, a threat to us as people of God, but I've seen leaders where the foundational ideas of God's revelation about His local church get eroded in them. And then they go through motions. I had, a, I had a guy one time, he's a wonderful man of God. He was evangelist. We're talking 30 plus years ago. And he was very influential in my life. But he had the foundations of local church. They were destroyed in his life. He had had different experiences where he had had... Now, some of you might not know this, but there's occasionally what we call bad church experiences. Okay, now, now if you don't know what those are, I'm going to have a prayer line over here and I can explain to you what they are. So this guy had had bad experiences in churches, and, and, but he was really an evangelist. But he, but he got a chance to get a building out in the middle of nowhere. All right, my wife and I have been there several times. This, is a, this was a, a, an old church building from probably built in the 20s or 30s. But I mean, there were no people around. We're, we're talking, I don't know what happened, okay? And so he got a chance to get this building and have meetings there for free. He didn't, I don't, they didn't have to pay anything for this thing. It was a great building, but it was in the middle of nowhere. So he would drive 45 probably minutes, and most of the people that would come to those meetings lived equally far away. So, and so they would drive 45, 50 minutes to meet in this building that was in the middle of nowhere because that was a church building. And I remember one time talking to him. I'm talking about foundations being destroyed. And I'm saying, well, what do you think the future is for this place? And, and he made this statement. He goes, he goes, you know what? And his wife was there with her. She's a wonderful lady. We're dear friends with him. He says, I don't know why God's got a church here. <laughs> In their mind, the church was the building. I, I don't know why God's got a church here, but, and they were kind of stumped and lamenting, and then, then, then he kind of made this statement, which I thought was classic. He said, well, I guess he's got it here, so I have a place to preach. <laughs> now, I want you to know, we're talking about a place that maybe had five to ten people that would show up on a meeting time. Now, they're wonderful people. Don't get me wrong. I don't hear me wrong here. I'm not bashing them. But what I'm talking about is there was a foundation destroyed of understanding what local churches are all about that caused a deficiency in the vision there. Am I making sense to you this morning? I mean, this, churches don't exist to give a leader a place to speak. I think God's intention for the church is much bigger than that, and we're going to get into it, all right? Now, I hope you brought Bibles this morning, did you? You have devices or Bibles? I want to read probably about three fairly lengthy passages just to give you the context, all right? But I want to talk about, first of all, the book of Revelation, 
Okay, this is the last revelation of Jesus in the New Testament. I think it's probably pretty important, all right? And so if you have your Bible, I want you to open to Revelation chapter 1. This is the last thing or the last way Jesus chose to reveal himself before the New Testament comes to the close, all right? And I want you to notice when we read this, turn to Revelation chapter 1, it's all about local churches, Contrary to what you may, and listen, I was baptized into the kingdom with a lot of teaching on end times, so I'm very familiar with this. But I had the mistaken notion in times past that I read Revelation, and it was all about trying to predict when Jesus will return. But I want you to know the book of Revelation was about local churches. Are you hearing me? Do you mind if I get a little excited? Denise says I yell a lot, and that's probably because I ha- don't have my hearing aids in, but, I, but I'm a yeller anyway, all right? But I want you to know the book of Revelation is about local churches. And this is the last revelation of Jesus. And what you're going to notice as we read this, where was Jesus at when he revealed himself to John? And what you're going to find is he was not out in some nebulous land trying to get us to predict when the Lord will return. We find Jesus in the midst of seven local churches. Could, could somebody get, even if you don't agree with me, just lie and say amen. All right. You find Jesus in the midst of seven specific local churches. Now, in times past, when I read that, I thought, why was he wasting his time, the first three chapters, in, the, in seven local churches? I mean, that was my mentality in those days. It's like, I don't even know why those first three chapters were there. I guess because John got a revelation of Jesus. But then why did he waste his time in seven local churches? To me, it was just like, and, and many people with deficient vision for church, they would just say, can we just tear those first three chapters out? Because <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah, you know, and I would read as, okay, just get past the church stuff and let's get on to the real purpose of the book which is to predict when Jesus returns. Can I tell you, look at your neighbor and say, deficient vision. Can, can you say it just a little bit like you mean it? Deficient vision. All right. Now, if you're there, let's look in chapter 1, and I want to start reading with verse 4. Here's what he says. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. I mean, the target is churches, local churches. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us. Can you say amen to that? To him who loves us and releases, released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Can we say amen to that? Amen. And then look at verse 7. Behold, he's coming. With the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I'm thankful. This is wonderful. Talking about this great revelation of Jesus. Look at verse 8 as he speaks. I am 
the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then look what happens. I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John had been banished for a season of time to an island. And he has this encounter with Jesus. And look what he says in verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. He didn't say send it to an author that will become famous for predicting when Jesus returns. Okay, stay with me. He says, and send it to the seven churches and to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamon, Thyatira and Sardis and to Philadelphia, Philadelphia and Laodicea. These were seven churches in a region of Asia Minor that had connectivity together. And I like verse 12. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when he had been, which had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. That means the roar, if you've ever been around fast-moving waters or Niagara Falls. I want to tell you something. If you don't like noise, you're not going to be a real happy in heaven. I just want to let you know. And you're not going to be real happy when heaven comes to the earth. Because Jesus' voice is like the sound of rushing many waters. In verse 16, In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death, hell, and Hades. Pretty dramatic encounter. And John fell at his feet. And then Jesus says, come on, get up. I, I, I've got something I'm doing here. And here's what he says in verse 19. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. And as, this is Jesus speaking. And as for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now this is amazing to me. And then he says, And to the angel of the church of Ephesus, the messenger write. And he starts giving messages to local churches. Now this is amazing. When John looked and saw this magnificent Lord, where was he? He was among local churches. Can we say that together? Could you say it like you mean it? And if you're not saying anything, at least move your mouth like you are. Where was he at? This is the last revelation of Christ. Many people say, well, why, why do I need the church? It's like, well, I thought you wanted to connect with Jesus. Oh, I'm connected to Jesus. Well, where is he at? Well, he's in me. Yeah. 
But the last revelation we have of Him, He's also among us. It's getting quiet here. He was among us. Didn't He say that wherever two or three are gathered in My name, there I will be in your midst? Isn't that the promise of God all through the Old Testament? He says, they'll my pe- be My people and I will walk among them. Jesus is among local churches. And for us to forsake that with our own crazy ideas, what we're doing is our foundation got destroyed and we're trying to build on another one, not God's. I I know I'm being direct here and if if, if I sound like I'm mean, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm trying to be direct, okay? But Jesus is among local churches. If you want to walk in the fullness of God, where do you need to be? Okay, this, this is like third grade test. Where was Jesus at? The local churches. Among local churches. And if you want to follow Christ in His fullness, where do you need to be at? Huh? Local churches? Why would I want to be among a local church? Sometimes they don't have anything that I like that satisfies me. Why do I show up? That's called your foundation has been destroyed. But Jesus is among local churches. When you look at the end of the book of Revelation, I have that up there. It's very interesting. He goes through this book. Look what he says at the end. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Can we say for the churches? For the churches. Where is Jesus at? Among the church. Why did he write this whole book? It was for the churches. Folks, in case you don't know, I'm wanting to see restored God's foundation of the importance of local churches. And if you get around me and you've seen me for any length of time, I don't deviate from this. Because Jesus died to see local churches populate the earth. Are you with me? If you've got your Bibles out, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We talked about John. Now I want to talk about Paul and his revelation of Christ and his design. And it's very interesting when you look at Ephesians chapter 1. I want us to read this. Are we okay, Glenn? All right. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to start with verse 3. Paul's giving his revelation to a church, one of those churches in Asia Minor, by the way, But he's giving his revelation to a church that he felt was drifting off track. And he writes this letter from jail, from prison. And in Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read this passage, verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, so that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Hallelujah. He predestined us. I want you to notice something while you're reading this. He never uses any term singularly. He predestined me. He uses the term us because Jesus is among his church. And what Jesus does is for the churches. And guess what? You may be a wonderful child of God, but you are not an only child. Many people think this thing is like, well, if I was the last person on the face of the earth, Jesus would have died for me. Yeah, 
But can I tell you something? You're not the last person on the face of the earth. He has other people that he's joining together and building together in a family called local churches. Okay. Hallelujah. And he uses this word all through. Us. Us. Verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us. Us. Say us. In the Beloved, and in Him we, can you say we? we? In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Can we say our? our? How many of you know He's not just writing to a selfish only child? He's writing to a family. All right? Verse 9, He made, to know, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. For time's sake, skip down to verse 16. And he says this as he's writing to this local church. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints, plural. Not just in you personally, but in the saints. It's in the church. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us, us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head of all things to head over all things to his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I love the message translation. It re refers to verse 23. Two, he says, he is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. And then he says this in verse 23. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. That's an amazing statement. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. Why is Jesus so concerned that he's in the church and with the church and he does things for the church? Because local churches are expressions of Christ's body. I want you to see this. He, Paul, Paul had a revelation of this that caused him to give his life seeing local churches live out the kind of life God intended them to live. Why? Because he saw churches as Christ's body. Can I say this? I know I've probably said this before. You're concerned about your body, aren't you? I mean, we could do a thing. How many of you spent 10 minutes this morning looking at yourself somewhere in the mirror? How many of you spent 15 minutes? How many of you spent 20? I gave up when I started, you know, I gave up as I got older because it just doesn't do any good. But most of us are concerned with how our physical body looks. Why? Because it carries our life. I just did something earlier that was a terrible thing to do, but why did I do that? Because I didn't want some aspect of my body to cause you not to receive the life. I was in the airport one time waiting for a, a rich business guy that was a little arrogant, 
and I was watching him. He was in a suit and stuff, and he had toilet paper hanging out from his coat down behind his legs, and he was being Mr. Business and ordering people around, and I thought, I ain't going to say a word about that. He needs that life to be rejected in him because it's full of arrogance. It was so funny to see him act like Mr. Big Shot Businessman all the time they're looking behind him. He's got toilet paper hanging out of his suit coat. And it's like, yes, we're concerned about our body because it carries us. Can I tell you something? Please listen to me. Local churches are the visible expression of Christ's body. And he is concerned how we walk together, how we live life together, because we carry him. We're all parts of this body. I'm giving you revelation that Paul said. Some of you are a finger. Some of you are toes. Some of, when he uses that analogy of the body. But what he's saying is, you're all part of the body. And that body has to be joined together in a way of life on his mission to see Christ expressed into the community. And you say, well, well, yeah, but I don't need the church for that. I can be... Do you know if I chop my finger off and just let it roam around town and witness for Jesus? How many of you know people would not necessarily be drawn to Christ? They'd see it as some kind of weird science fiction show. There's the finger. It's like, okay, it's a good finger. There's nothing wrong with your finger. But can I tell you, your finger is supposed to be connected to a hand, and the hand is supposed to be connected to an arm, and the arm is supposed to connect to the torso and have all this stuff, and then we're connected to Christ the head. It is about among the church and through the church. I love in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he gives this declaration. He says, God did all this through Christ so that, in this verse 10 and 11, so that now through the church, not through you individually, but now through the church, the many-sided wisdom of God would be made known. And Paul added this little feature. He said, this was accordance with the eternal purpose that he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to know the foundation of what God is after for local churches. It's not an afterthought. It's not like, well, maybe. No, it's accordance, in accordance with His eternal purpose. Are you understanding this this morning? Now, I, I'm of, of the impression, because there's such a deficiency in people's vision for local church and that foundation, as we saw in Psalms, has been destroyed in many people. We need a revival of this. We need a revival and an awakening of what God intends His church to be. Hello? One of the greatest, one of the greatest theologians that was ever produced in the United States came from Wright City, Missouri. Some of you know kind of up by St. Louis. His name was Richard Niebuhr, and he, he made an interesting statement that really lit me up one time. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But I'm a big uh, uh, studier of church history. I've taught classes in church history. I love history. And he made this statement. He said, great revolutions, boy, this is important. Great revolutions in the history of God's people did not come when they discovered something new. It came when they radically rediscovered something that's always been there. And when I look at the history of the church, that has been our story. It isn't like we're coming up, when we start talking about the local church, it's not like we're coming up with something new. This is something that's always been there in the intention of God. And we need a rediscovery radically 
of what God's foundation for being a local church is all about. Are you with me on this? Can you hear me? This is important. Many times when that foundation is missing in people's life, at best, the local church gets leftovers of people's busy lives. Can you put that next slide up? I think it's on there. Yeah. I want to show you this. This deficiency of the local church. This is a thing that Butterball Turkey has been doing since 1981. So we're pushing 38, 39 years. And you can Google this if you want to call into them. But every year in November and December, as a ploy to kind of help with selling more turkeys, they have something called, this is the recent one, Turkey Talk Line. Can you look at your neighbor and say, you may need Turkey Talk Line. <laughs> And what they do in Turkey Talk Line is they, they have at least 50 people manning the phones. And if you have any question about your turkey, you can call into them and they'll give you advice. Sounds pretty good, huh? So there you see a picture of those people manning the phone. Well, one time this guy called, or a lady called in Turkey Talk Line. And she asked one of the people there sitting, she said, uh, Hey, I've got a question about our turkey here. My husband got a turkey from work, and it's been sitting in the freezer, and we wanted to know if it's safe to use. And so the, the, the person there, the manning the phone, said, well, well, how long has it been in the freezer? And she said, 23 years. <laughs> now, if you're the person manning the phones, and you could have some liability, she's like, uh, she, she said, do you think it's okay? And, and the person said, well, uh, um, uh, uh, well uh, can, can you just hold for a second? I need to do some checking. So she puts the lady on hold. She goes to her supervisor. I got this lady on the phone. They've had a turkey for 23 years. Her husband got it at work. Now she wants to use the turkey. I mean, what do, we, what do I do? I don't want to tell her and be liable for them dying or getting sick. And the supervisor goes, I don't know. I've never encountered something like this before. And so she, 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 the supervisor sends the, caller, the, the call center person back. She goes, just go back and ask her uh, if it's ever been unthawed. If it's been unthawed, then we'll just tell her to throw it away. So she gets back on the line. She says, hey, just a quick question. You've had this 23 years in your freezer. Has the turkey ever been unthawed or de defrosted? She says, nope. I've had it frozen solid for 23 years. What should I do? course, the, the, the call center helper says, oh, God, I, um, can I put you on hold just a second? Puts her on hold, goes back to the supervisor. She said the turkey's never been thawed. What do I do in the call center? We can't tell them to eat that. And they're trying to figure out, I said, well, just go tell her, say, you know what? Um, it, even if it's okay, it's probably not going to taste very good. You probably shouldn't eat it. Good. So she goes back, gets the lady back online, said, well, you know what? Um, even though the turkey's not been unthawed for 23 years, um, I tell you what, even if it is okay to eat, it is going to taste terrible. Please don't eat it. Yeah. All right? Sounds like good advice. So here's what the lady said on the line. She says, you know what? That's kind of what I thought. Thanks for telling me this. I, because you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do what I had planned anyway. I'm going to give it to the church. Now, that little story reveals sometimes people's attitude towards the church. 
We get the second best leftovers and oh yeah, church. Can I tell you something? God's opinion of local churches isn't that they are these, these little things that are just not worthy of anything but second best and leftovers. Hello? The local church is the instrument Jesus, it's his body. Folks, can I say this loudly? It's his body. Amen. It's what he's chosen to use in localities where he wants to manifest his life to a world that needs him. We don't want to see people's vision of church that gets just leftovers. Now, I want to read one more passage. You're with me? Okay. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We were in chapter 1, chapter 3. And I want to read to you several verses out of chapter 4 because this is how Paul tells us to live in light of what Christ did to see his glory revealed through local churches. All right? So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Everybody still with me? Yep. It's that Paul says this in verse, verse 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 1. And the first three chapters, he had just been giving this foundational vision of what God's called his local churches to be and what Christ died to produce through them. And then in chapter 4, he kind of turns the corner and he begins to tell us how to live in light of this great destiny of God for local churches. So here's what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is only one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Isn't this interesting? He's trying to tell us how to live in light of his great calling and purpose for which Christ gave his life for. Isn't it interesting? The first direction he gives is to tell us how to get along together. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've seen churches and they don't get along so well together. And it's interesting, he said, if you want to live in light of this calling, which he just spent three chapters talking about, you've got to walk with humility, gentleness, showing patience with one another, preserving the unity of the Spirit. Folks, you can't do that unless you're in local church life. Hello? Con contrary to what you may believe, the Bible was not a love letter for you. It was a letter of Christ to local churches. Are you hearing me? The New Testament was letters, primarily either letters to local churches or letters to leaders like Titus and Timothy who were leading local churches. The letters only make sense if you're involved in the local church life. That's what Paul says. If you want to live in light of this, you've got to walk together with people with humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance to one another. The sign you read when you walked in, if you didn't read it, read it when you go out. If he so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's essentially what Paul's saying here. And then he goes on. Let's read verse 7. 
But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. What is this expression, he ascended? What does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Now, that's important. We just read at the end of chapter 1, his body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. He wants to fill the earth with his glory through his people. And then he says here, he ascended on high and gave gifts. Why? So that he might fill all things. The giftedness he gives to his people who are to walk together as a family. And then he starts identifying. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. What are they to do? They're for the entertaining of the saints so that they'll come to meetings and be blessed every Sunday. No, that's not what leaders were given for. Not to entertain us. This, can I tell you what? The church is not a theater that if the movie's good, you show up on an occasional Sunday. That is not what, by the way, church isn't even this building. I like what Glenn said earlier. What about in the lives and the homes of the people of God where we become a family? But he didn't say leaders were given to entertain the saints to keep us interested in coming to the meeting. He says this, they were given for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, leading to the building up of the body of Christ. God gave leaders gifts to equip us so that we will all be active. Church is not a spectator sport. It is okay if I'm, I know I'm being loud. You don't have to have me back. I dearly want to come back and be around. But I'm going to have to be loud here. Church is not a spectator sport. We were in India recently and I said, contrary to popular opinion, The unfortunate thing about Western Christianity is we've been the largest exporter of consumer Christianity. And that's unfortunate. Do you know America is known for consumer Christianity? What do I mean by that? It's like a football game. 80 to 100,000 people show up at a stadium to watch 22 people on the field. And those 22 people on the field are highly skilled, but they're in bad need of a break. And the 80,000 people that are watching them, telling them how to play, are stuffing their faces with nachos and hot dogs and popcorn, all of which I love. They are in bad need of exercise, and the people on the field are in bad need of a break. <laughs> Welcome to American church life. Well, we, we do, we're active. We come and we critique what the minister said. And we critique what Leslie played on the thing. And did you know, Leslie, you missed a couple notes, Sarah, on that third song? And by the way, that third song didn't bless me. And so I wish you would choose this other song because I'm not going to keep coming here, Leslie, unless I'm blessed. So pray to the Lord and see what he might do or you know what I'm going to do. Do you understand that is not biblical church life? That is an American fallacy. We are not here to be entertained. We're here to be equipped, to be active, to see the body of Christ build up and take the message of Christ and the life of Christ Amen. to the communities we live in. Yes. We're a family of disciples together on God's mission. Yes. We're not a bunch of ticket holders that show up to the best place right. with the best movie. 
<laughs> Thank you. Did you just go woo? Was that you? Sorry, I don't have my hearing aids in. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. But guys, this, we got to ditch this idea of consumer Christianity. It is a blight. It, it is a place where the foundations of church are destroyed. Well, you know, it's like, you want to come to our church? It's like, well, that means in their mind showing up to a service. Well, what do you do at your church? Well, <laughs> and we, well, we've got great coffee bars. We've got smoke machines. We've got perfect music. It's like, can I tell you that what? Those things are nice, but the reason we come here is to be equipped and to get active. <laughs> Hello? I said the reason we come here is to be equipped and to be active. I like to say it like this. Church is not a theater. It's a gymnasium. I've worked out my whole life. I see Linda here. Linda, I still do it. I'm, it's hard. But, uh, but I've worked out my whole life. Every time I've gone to the gym, I see people try to get the benefit of the gym by sitting there scrolling through their phones while they're sitting on the exercise equipment I need to do, use. Yeah. Have you seen that ever, Linda? And it's like, I like to move around in the gym because that's how you get healthy. And that's how I have my body equipped so it becomes, carries my life. If you ever come to the gym I work out in and you sit down on that, that machine and you start doing that, I'll come up to you very nicely with a Jesus smile on my face. I'll say, excuse me, sir, are you going to use that? I, I, I kind of want to use it. and I'll, I'll let you get right back to checking your phone. <laughs> I'll do it nicely. But inside I'm going, do you think you're going to get healthy sitting there scrolling through your phone? You're going to get healthy by getting active. Welcome to biblical church life. Not New Test, not, not American, biblical church life. I love this about gyms. When you see a gym where people are saying, hey, man, I see you using that machine there. Hey, that's good. We got to stay active. Hey, I've learned something. On, and I've watched that. People helping each other out. Be active. Welcome to biblical church life. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I am. <laughs> now, look what he says, okay? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, as, as, so that we're no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of, trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Look at this. But speaking the truth in love, we are all to grow, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom, look at this, this is important, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body to the building up of itself in love. Can I read verse 16 again? From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. He's not talking about legalized marijuana here. He is talking about a body where everybody is active. All right. From which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and say this to them very loudly. You are in each. <laughs> Each, E-A-C-H. Come on, turn to the other, turn to the person you don't like, turn to them right now, and say, you are an each. 
It says each part is to work. There are no pew sitters in the body of Christ. There are only active participants that are doing everything we can to see this thing become built up. And this thing isn't a building. It's the people that God has joined together and assembled that are part of each other's lives. We all have a part to play. We all have a role to play. We all are gifted. We all have been given things to help build each other up so we're effective on the mission God's given us. It's a body on mission. It's a family on mission. Hello? Are you with me? Now, how I want to end, okay? I, I know we're excited, but I want to end because when you look at this design, God's design, where every member is a part of the family, there's no only child syndrome in the church. We're to live for the glory of others. That's why I love about this sign. If I was crazy enough, I would say, let's march out the building. Unfortunately, it's snowing. And let's march back in and read that sign. If he loved us, we should love one another. Our goal and our job and the foundation of Christ for churches as we are involved in each other's lives doing everything we can to build each other up so we will be effective to live as his family on mission. That is every joint supplying. Are you with me on this? Now what I want to do is I want to end. You say, well, I don't know how to do it. I'm glad you asked that. How many of you were going to ask that question? How do I do it? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you seven things, and this is what we're going to close with. It won't take long. Is this okay? Seven things that you can tangibly do to become an active part of God's plan in the local church. Are you there? Number one, okay, is seek God, seek His heart for His design for His church. That's number one. Many people are not motivated because they don't even see it. They've never read it in the Word or they read it through individual glasses. Can I tell you something? The Bible is not an individual book. It's a corporate book. It was written to groups of people, and you will not understand it unless you read it from that context, okay? So seek God with his heart towards his house. Jesus said, I will build my church, and he hasn't stopped. And the Bible ends with him coming back for a bride that's been adorned for her husband. And what we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, he goes on in chapter 5 and he says, the reason we do this as a church is so that we're built up and mature, prepared like a bride for her husband. And the book of Revelation says he's coming back for that bride. So I want us to know we need to seek God for his heart towards his house. Have you ever given up on the church? I have. I have my moments. But then I don't give up. I get up. Well, our church is a mess. Welcome to the club. There's only one benefit. There's only one admission ticket to the house of God that you're imperfect, you need Jesus, you're in Him, therefore you're part. Hello? We've got a, <laughs> our youngest two grandchildren are twins. And uh, none of you have ever experienced this. We've experienced it. And they're running around a lot now and very active. Have you ever had one of your children when they were, when they were babies? They're not potty trained, but they're able to do stuff and they've messed their diaper, and they either pull it off, or did any of you, we had that happen a lot. And you walk into their room that they're playing in, and it's like, what smells? And then it's like, oh my gosh, she took her diaper off, and she had a dirty diaper, and now it's on the floor. The some of you are looking at me, I think you realize, how many of you parents had this experience? 
Do you know what we do and what our kids wanted to do with the twins? Oh, that's easy. We just kick them out and we leave. <laughs> yeah, they're imperfect. And do you know what happens when your church has messy diapers? You don't kick it out and you don't leave. You don't do that with your kids, do you? What do you do? You change the diaper and you clean it up and you work at potty training your children. The church is not perfect. Good. That's why you're there. You're going to help us be perfect. We're going to walk. Can, can you look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to help you clean your dirty diaper. Say it. <laughs> That's part of the wonderful design. And then you're going to help me clean my dirty diaper. Because we all mess up, right? Number two. <laughs> we got to break non-biblical illusions about participation in his plan. What do I mean by that? Some people, they're, they're a part of a church in theory, but not in reality. Now, this doesn't happen here, but I can share with you stories if you like. But no, we got to break non-biblical illusions. We have, a, we have a friend that's a dear pastor, and his wife was, was doing a door-to-door -door thing in, in, in the area, trying to reach out to new people. She comes up to this one door, knocks, and the lady uh, you know, opens the door. She says, hi, my name is, is, is Esther, and we're, we're just around the neighborhood here. We're trying to check and see uh, anything we can help you with, anything you'd like for us to pray for, uh, anything like that, or you're part of a local church. This lady proudly says, Oh, yeah, I go to Victory Life. I've been an integral part of that, in integral part of that church for a long time. This was the leader's wife of that church, and she had never seen her before. I don't, I don't know if you just got the picture there. I mean, you're not as dumbfounded as I am. This is the leader's wife who has been, who planted that church, and have, she doesn't even know who this lady is. But in that lady's mind, oh, I'm a part of Victory Life. Can I tell you that's a non-biblical illusion? Okay? I'll tell you a quick story about this one. We'll, we'll get out of here in good time. Are we okay? Five, five, okay. Here's a great story on this one. <laughs> this guy I know. Wonderful man of God. Very influential in my early days. He was preaching this message, and he was talking about local church stuff, right? So the message is over, and people were coming up for prayer, and a lady had come up and uh, was kind of waiting on him, and he was greeting people. And he came over to this lady, and he says, okay, uh, uh, want some prayer? Can I pray for you? And she did this. She goes, oh, what a wonderful sermon. That was a wonderful sermon. He says, good, I'm glad you liked it. And uh, where are you from? And she starts, I'm from this city and stuff like that. And, and then subtly, she turned and started talking about a need she had, financial need. And this guy could tell she was kind of starting to play him a little bit, you know. She says, yeah, I've got this need, and I'm seeking the Lord about it, and I'm sure, and she's looking at him, and I'm sure God's going to speak to somebody about helping me out by giving me some money and stuff like that. So the, the guy's feeling this, and he goes, oh, well, that's good. Can I ask you a question? Uh, what, uh, how about your local church? Do they know about this? What church are you part of? And she goes, she got these goofy charismatic eyes. I'll explain that to you as well. She got these goofy charismatic eyes. She says, oh, I'm not a part of in any particular church. I'm a part of his church. We're talking about breaking non-biblical illusions. I'm a part of his church. He said, excuse me? Oh, I, I couldn't be a part of any one church because I want to be a part of his real church. And so the guy said, Oh, okay, so, but, but you have a need. And then she perked back, oh, yeah, 
I have a need. He said, well, do me a favor, Kurt. Could you hold your hands out? She held her hands out like this. She's thinking I'm going to get a prophetic sign or money here. And she's got her hands out. He says, okay, I'm seeking the Lord with you. So he did this number. And she's sitting there and he's doing this. Her eyes are wide open. This is a prophetic sign. And then he does this. There you go. And she's sitting there. What just happened? And he said, that's some mystical money from your mystical church. Be blessed. Can you say good point? <laughs> Break non-biblical illusions. No, it's like, who am I really joined to and involved with on a regular basis? Can you say amen to that? Number three, you've got to get connected relationally with his family. Listen, a church is not a building or a meeting. It's a group of people joined together by God. You've got to get into the lives of people. Hello? That means you've got to get together. I mean, how many of you know, um, how many of you know, how many, how do you know? I'm coming right at you. Isn't the back of her head nice? Come on, just, just look at that. Don't you feel like you know her now that you've seen the back of her head? Isn't that the best back of the head you've ever saw? Now, how many of you know that isn't getting to know people? You can come and stare at the back of people's head and stare at Glenn and Chelsea and Leslie, but that doesn't mean we're into the relational life of the people. It has to go beyond a meeting. It has to go beyond a building. It's people joined together in a way of life. Again, we can't approach church like we're an only child. That produces selfishness. But when you have to think of others, that promotes maturity. Are you with me? So get connected relationally. I don't know how you guys gather, but gather together with people. You may have small groups, I don't know, but get together in the relational life among his people. Number four. Are you with me? There's only seven. You have to endure three more. Okay. Number four. Get busy serving. Through practicing the 59 one another's. You say, what is that? Well, I'm glad you ask. I've got a document that shows the 59 biblical commands of what we're supposed to do with one another. And then I've got current contemporary ways we can fulfill those 59 things. Did any of you want that? Okay, did you see that? Okay. Practice the 59 one another's. What we used to do when we had a thing called paper is we put them on our refrigerator door, okay? And why did I put it on my refrigerator door? How many of you know when I get upset with people, I have this wonderful thing called comfort food? Do you, thank you. God bless you. And I, I mean, when I get frustrated, I, I say a prayer to Jesus as I'm on my way to get comforted by food. Guess what? When you've got the 59 one another staring at you and you go to that thing and it's like, forgive each other, love each other, let no faults arise between you. Don't be bitter towards one another. How many of you know that ruined your comfort food? And I realized the food isn't the answer. Me living with Jesus and obeying his one another's is the answer. So get the 59 one another's. We try to practice them. You can practice three or four of them daily with hardly anything. You can do it now almost on your cell phone, some of them. 
But do it. It'll tie you together and get you thinking about more than yourself and realize you're part of a family. Number five, we've only got seven. Oh, this one's important. Have a healthy tension between your gifting and household chores. Oh, there's five places in the Bible where it mentions spiritual gifts that each one of us possess. How many of you know each one of you are gifted? Again, turn to the person you don't like and say, you're gifted. All right, just do that right now, okay? Now, how many of you know we're all gifted and we're to move in our gift? But there's also a thing called household chores. And sometimes those things overlap each other. You aren't going to really move in your gift until you get busy in your household chore. How many of you ever heard this one? I can't do that because that's not my gift. You know, I, I, I've, I say that every time it's time to take out the trash. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm called to be a father. Can you, can you imagine my wife? We don't, she didn't have to do this because I'm kind of a trash Nazi. But if she did, she said, you know, honey, the trash is flowing over the bin there. It's all over the floor. Uh, could, could you do something about it? It's snowing outside. And I would say, that's not my gift. My giftedness is leadership and fatherhood and teacher. I can teach you about the trash. Get your paper out. Get, get, get your device out. I'm going to give you three notes on God's purpose for the trash. Okay, you ready? Three points. Ready? The first point is trash is reflective of the flesh. That's in, uh, you understand what I'm saying. And she's like, no, honey, I just need you. No, I can't do that. I'm not gifted. Is there anybody gifted? They're sanitation workers. Can we pay them an extra $5 to they get off the truck and come in and take my trash? How many of you know that's ridiculous? I take the trash out. And as I take the trash out doing a household chore, my gift comes through. I take my son-in-law with me. Come on, I'm going to show you how to take the trash out. And while I do, I want to talk to you about your prayer life here. Come on, let's just take this. How many of you know I'm operating in my gift as I'm doing household chores? So have a healthy tension of your giftedness and household chores. And sometimes your giftedness is refined as you do things that are just household chores and responsibility. Hello? I remember one lady one time we were talking about this thing. She says, yeah, I don't get it. People that don't give and, and, and tithe regularly. She made this, she was a very simple lady. She goes, how do they think the electricity's paid? By osmosis? Remember? <laughs> okay. We all have responsibility. Number six. Are you with me? Two more. Be continually filled with Holy Spirit in your walk with the Lord and with each other. I love Ephesians chapter 5. It talks about don't get drunk with wine. That's excess. But be continually filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart. This kind of life in local church can only happen through Holy Spirit. You need Him to motivate you. You need Him to bring life to you. You need Holy Spirit sometimes to correct us. We can't do this on our own. That's why Paul says be filled with the Spirit. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't give that context in an individualized Pentecostal way. It's in a corporate way. Where we're filled with the Spirit. Yes, personally, but yes, together. Because that passage is about our together being filled with the Spirit. Hello, are you with me on this? I was just at a funeral, unfortunately, last week. I'm almost done. But we, I was with a funeral, in a funeral with a guy whose mother, it was a terrible life. She had a Pentecostal experience when she was a little kid, but she didn't live for God her whole life. But she could still speak in tongues. 
And the unfortunate thing is in this funeral, they were taught, he, this guy, he was full of pain and he was talking about his mom and everybody knew she was an awful person. She was mean-spirited and stuff like that. And he kept alluding. He said, you know, yeah, she could speak in tongues, but as you know, she was meaner than dirt. Now, it had a good ending. She gave her life to Christ kind of on the deathbed. But I'm sitting there going all the time, don't do that. I didn't say it, but don't do this. We're to live our lives now for Christ and not rely on an experience from yesteryear. It's an active, continual Holy Spirit experience among the family of God. Are you with me? And number seven, this is the last thing. We need to engage in everyday mission as His family of disciples together on God's mission. We come here and we are involved in each other's lives, but just like the 12 followed Jesus around, what were they doing? They were together on His mission. They were encouraging each other to be more effective, to reach and shine to the people around them the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? We need to see the foundations of what God intends for His local church restored, and we need to move in that. Can you say amen to this? Amen? Can you stand to your feet with me? Hallelujah. If this is okay with you, Glenn, I, I, I just, I want to pray. This is a wonderful family, and I'm glad to hear that you're going through, you're having this season where you're looking again at foundations. This is a critical foundation because Jesus died to see churches coming to existence that would live his family together as his family of disciples together on mission. I want you to do something if you're physically able. If you're here and you go, you know what, I'm, I'm a part of this place. This is where God's joined me. And you want to go deeper and see the foundation of God motivating you to be His local church the way He designed it. If that's you and you know it clear, I want you to come and stand across the front as we get ready to pray. I just feel something to pray for us together. Come on, we're God's family. And we are seeking Him for His design of what He's intended local church life to be. Can we just come and stand across the front here? Hallelujah, Lord. And if we could come a little closer together, can you kind of come towards the middle? And could you act like you like each other? And then could you say this with me? Like has nothing to do with it. Come on, let's say it together. Like has nothing to do with it. Do you know what like is about your preference? Love is about God's preference. Amen. I want to say that again. Like, I don't like this church. Well, that, that's, that's fine. I don't like it either. <laughs> but I love it. And that's what you read when you came in. If he loved us, we ought also to love one another. Like has nothing to do with it. Now just for a moment here, if we could just close our eyes. Because it's Jesus in me, but it's Jesus among us. And so, Lord, right now, as we're standing across the front, Lord, we're recognizing that you've called us and drawn us together. And so, Lord, thank you that you're among us right now. Come on, I, I just see the Lord. He is, he is here. He loves this kind of stuff because he died to see his churches arise and become who he's called them to be. I just see the Lord just kind of moving in and out of us as we're joined together. Can I tell you, that's the best kind of marriage, that's the best kind of family, and that's the best kind of spiritual family life, is us together with Jesus walking among us.
Now, Lord, we acknowledge you among us and we thank you that you're building your church. You've been doing this for 2,000 years, over 2,000 years. And Lord, we're aware that you have an end point because you're preparing us as a bride that we can marry you at that great family event, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So Lord, we just want to thank you. Father, we want to thank you as we're standing here with our brothers and sisters that you've joined us to. Father, the thing we started with here today, where the enemy came and tried to rip out the foundations. And we know that taunt, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, Father, we're not settling for that because we know it's your word, Jesus, your design to build your church with a family. And so, Lord, as we're standing here together, we're almost just again, Lord, saying, let this foundation become strong in us as we walk together with those standing side by side. Lord, we want to be a part of your family, a family of disciples engaged in your mission. God, we ask that you build this foundation in us. In our old neighborhood, we had a situation where a foundation was bad in a house. We lived in a mining area. And I watched them come and jack up the house and put a new foundation in under it. And I got a lot of spiritual insight out of that. Now, right now, Lord, we are asking where foundations are weak or they've been knocked down, maybe by bad events, maybe by unfortunate events, that a foundational wall got knocked out regarding the local church. Lord, lift this house up. Lift me up. If that's you and you know that's speaking to you, even say that to him. Lord, lift me up and put this foundation back under me and let this thing that had been destroyed or eroded, let it become strong again, that I would be what you've created me to be, an active member, an active part of your family, seeing the life of God lived out among your church. Lord, even as we reflect on what you did, the, your last revelation, you are walking among churches. Thank you for walking among this local church. Let us become all you've called us to be. Could you just reach your hand out and put it on your brother or sister next to you? And let's just pray for one another right here. Lord, as I lay my hand on my brother and on my sister, I acknowledge in doing so that you've made us part of a family. Lord, help me not just to live for my own good, but live for your sake and the good of our family, my brother and my sister. We see all through your word, Paul labored in prayer for people he loved so they would become who you've called them to be. So I pray that for my brother and sister here. God, let us become the family you've called us to be together. Now, Lord, have your way with this church the reason it's been brought into existence, let it abound in this community. Father, let it abound in this community and beyond. Bless this house. I'm going to pray a blessing out of Isaiah 60, 61. Father, bless Zion. For Zion's sake, bless her, raise her up. Let this house become fruitful. Let it multiply. Let it be a dynamic family together with you and with one another as they engage in your mission and see more people come into Christ and come into the family of God. Now bless this house, God. Could you just raise your hands with me? Bless us, Lord. We pray that prayer Jabez prayed. Bless us and extend the border of our territory. Not because we're great, but because you're great and your covenant is great. 
Now bless this house, Father. We pray it. Let there be many daughters and sons come in and find restoration. In Jesus' name we pray it. In Jesus' name. We all said amen. 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 Hallelujah. I want, you to all, I want you to all stay here for just a moment. As you can see, I don't have a lot of voice, but that's not unusual, is it? <laughs> we, there's something about my path that I felt like God wanted me to share this morning. And that's when I first started coming toward God, I was not a believer. I just decided that maybe this thing was what people said it was. And I, I was trying my best to talk to a God that I wasn't even sure existed. And I just said, God, if it's all true, I'm going to do my best to follow you. And for months after that, I didn't feel anything. And slowly but surely, it came because I had made a decision. I just felt like I needed to share that this morning for this reason. I think there's going to be people come through the doors and people come into your life that are not sure they believe at all. But invite them on a journey of discovery with you. Not to get them to pray, but just talk to them about what God has done in your life, not in a preachy way. Don't give them all the answers. Direct them to maybe finding an answer in God. Because I believe that's where the new wave is going to come from. You know, we've said a lot in this, in this house about when we deal with people a lot of times out there, we're not dealing with people that are at ground zero. Because of the way they've been raised, they're way down under zero. And we got to give them an opportunity to come to the knowledge of God. Because the church, he loves them so much. So here's my challenge to you. Leave this house this morning and be bold enough to say, okay, God, give me a fresh revelation of your church and my part in it. Many people won't pray that prayer because they're afraid of what he'll say. But I'm telling you, you can trust him. And when you start to fulfill your part in it, you'll find what you were made for. Doug, thank you. I would tell them you're my pastor, but then they'd blame you for who I am. So, <laughs> no, Doug is my pastor, and it's a real blessing for him, for me, for him to be here with us. And I thank you for that. Was it too hard? No way. No way. Come and do it again. Father, thank you again for who you are and for who your family is. And God, I thank you that you've taken this body and pared it down to where it's ready to move ahead. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for that. God, I just, I just love you. God, I love you and I love your people. Help us, God, to reflect that in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Down, John King.